Hey guys, this week's episode is with Molly Venter. She is one of my favorite, favorite, all-time favorite singer-songwriters. Her bands include Molly Venter, Red Molly, and Goodnight Moonshine. She had a fabulous home birth that we're going to dig into, and then she found out she was pregnant with twins and birthed completely opposite of her first birth and her twin birth at the hospital. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, before we get started, I just wanted to thank Anja of useanja.com for sponsoring this episode. If you did not catch my episode with Catherine Cross, who created the company Anja, I hope you'll rewind and listen all about cord blood banking with Use Anja. She is offering all birth story listeners $100 off their private cord blood banking with code birthstory. Now, let me tell you a little personal story about Anja and private cord blood banking. I am a parent of a child with cerebral palsy. I did not know he was going to have cerebral palsy from a birth injury until after he was born. If I had chosen cord blood banking, the outcome of my child could be very different if he had access to his own stem cells. Those are blank cells that can go to repair and rewrite damaged cells like in my son Jagger's with his brain injury. It can also be used with siblings. So cord blood banking, there's a 75% chance it will match with a sibling. There's a 50% chance it'll match with the parent. So yeah, like you, like if you get one of these 85 diseases that right now we know stem cells can help, that can help you too, not just your child and not just your child's siblings. You will be able to use the stem cells at some point. So I don't want you to look at it as an insurance policy either. So I'm thinking like, oh, my five left knee surgeries. Like I could inject some stem cells in there at some point in the future and help my knee out. There's a lot of research and development going on with PCOS, hair loss, anti-aging, cancers, tumors, lymphomas, along with the 85 known diseases that we have already proven that stem cells can help to cure, save lives, support lives and diseases. 
But what makes Angie different? Catherine Cross, her personal story, why she started Angie. There is a huge community. It is tech enabled. There's a beautiful brand that user experience is incredible. So like I said, if you do not know about cord blood banking, please rewind and listen to Catherine's episode. And if you decide to do cord blood banking, please use code BIRTHSTORY for $100 off at useanja.com, U-S-E-A-N-J-A.com. All right, here's your episode. Welcome, Molly, to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? you? Thank you, Heidi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk about it. I haven't really gotten to. I know. Well, I that makes me really happy because I reached out to you a long time ago and it was like maybe right after you gave birth or right before even. Yeah. And I saw on Instagram you were pregnant with twins. And let's just tell the audience right now, I am a big fan of Molly Venter, who's a singer-songwriter. And I'm not even sure what year it was. So let's say we're recording this in 2021. So let's say maybe like 2000 seven, eight, nine, 10-ish, I don't know, somewhere in that range. You came to Charlotte, North Carolina, and you played at this tiny little venue, which is one mile from my house, called The Evening Muse. Yes. Do you remember that? I'm going to cry. I totally remember that. That was even longer ago than that. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I came to see one of my musician friends. Not that I wasn't there to see you, Molly, but you were a bonus. I came to see one of my friends, Bucky Hayes. Yes. Bucky, I don't know what the, I mean, he's been my friend since we were like five. So Bucky Hayes in the radio, Bucky Hayes band. I don't know. He's had a couple of things. So Bucky was in town from Brooklyn and he was playing a mile from my house. So I invited his whole band. I'm like, oh, just come stay with me and then you guys will play. And then we went and then you were one of the singer songwriters that got up there. And I, it was one of those perfectly timed moments, Molly, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think I just had a major breakup. I was in a super Mm. bad place and your music, I think you played like, love me like you mean it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, each song I was like, (gasps) like speaking deeply to my soul. So that's how I know who you are. (laughs) Well, that's, that means that we were like going through the same life things at the same time, you know, because that was my season of that kind of uh, change and then processing through song. And then you were right there. Um, Oh, I love it. So your albums really helped me through several breakups, you know, following that season. There was more yeah. more seasons to more come. Yeah. yeah. And so just kind of you're very good with your lyrics, with growth, personal mm. emotion, maybe putting into words and song what we're all thinking and feeling, but just can't quite pinpoint how to say it. And oh, so thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to hear that. And you're welcome. That's your gift. It's been great. So tell us a little bit more about, I mean, now many years have gone by. So who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? You know, all the things right now. Yeah, all the things. I I grew up in the Northeast. So talk kind of fast. I, and then I went out to like Idaho after college and then spent 10 years in Austin, Texas, punctuated by like a year in, in Mexico. And 
I have always just loved writing songs and singing. And so after kind of living all my 20s in Austin, and by the way, I I was also sober for that whole time. So it was just like a huge growth explosion. And then in my early 30s, and I was always playing music professionally, driving around in my car, like sleeping in the sleeping in Walmart parking lots, all that good stuff. And then I joined up with a, a more established band that was called Red Molly. And because of that, I started spending a lot more time back in the Northeast, which is where, well, actually at a music conference, I met my husband, who's also a musician. And I ended up settling back in the same town that I grew up in, New Haven, Connecticut. Never thought I would be back here, but it's really nice to have family around when you have kids. And actually, like, there's cool parts of everywhere. You know, you don't have to just live in San Francisco or Austin to, to have like a thriving cultural life. And we, we love it. Who knew? Yeah. That's where I started. <laughs> Who knew? Well, I live in like the arts district of Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's where that evening muse yeah. is. It's called Noda or yeah. North Davidson. It's a really artsy, fun area. We've got a pretty bumping scene. I think you're too. Yeah. So you do. You do. I mean, and Charlotte's on the rise. Like Charlotte's got a buzz right now. So yeah. So you said you were sober. So does that mean previously you had not been? Oh, yeah. Right. Sure. No, drank, you know, uh, crazy amounts during college, then stopped completely. 12 step programs, all that good stuff for 10 years. And then I kind of experimented going back into what was drinking like because everything's going so well. I've got a husband, having a baby, and it wasn't great. So I've been now I'm I don't I don't drink again. I just feel like when I'm not drinking, I have all the synchronicity happening, and I'm reading the next book, and I'm having the next good conversation. Like it forces me to be uncomfortable, and then to find what what will truly truly help. So, but when I'm drinking or so for the several years after I had Otis, I was kind of, I mean, not dangerously drinking, but just like drinking enough and watching enough Netflix that like, I didn't have to do much, you know, I just yeah. didn't have to like think that hard or, or yeah. work on that much, but it wasn't that ha It felt pretty stale and flat. Like nothing was that bad, but nothing was really that good. And so now uh, on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, right. This is how the world used to look like in hypercolor and that means sometimes I'm still just like a ridiculous, like, uh, I have a short temper. Like <laughs> there are things about me that aren't so great and I have to look at them because I live with someone. But anyway, at least I can then try to do better. And yeah, yeah. life is better. Well, I think that a lot of the moms that are listening to this podcast can absolutely relate to these different seasons that we have. You know, I will never forget having my first child. And going to my six-week follow-up, and I was telling my midwife, like, I'm just having, like, a lot of anxiety. I'm having, tr mm. I'm having trouble sleeping. I mean, like, who doesn't have mm. trouble sleeping when you're nursing every two hours? And mm. she was like, are you, do you drink? And I was like, well, I mean, like, no, because I was pregnant and I'm nursing. And she was like, your prescription, and she wrote it out, she was like, <gasps> is to, like, go have a glass of wine or a cocktail tonight. And I was like, oh, Okay. And so I think like my doctor told me to do that, which probably yeah. wasn't, or my midwife, which probably wasn't the most healthy thing in the world. But I think oh. a lot of moms fall into this, right? Like mm -hmm. we're like, we're stressed, we're kind of like blah, we haven't taken a shower, like we're covered in milk, like why not sit and watch Netflix and drink wine? Yeah, you know? it's like such a 
relief. I mean, and then especially after this year, like uh, I know, I know other moms who are like, I'm using medicinal marijuana at night. That's what the season is about. I'm like, go for it. You know, like whatever. (laughs) And so I can totally relate to that. And then also there's just a social lubricant element of drinking. So when you get together with other moms and you finally start going, blah, 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 like that feels so good too. So there's, I'm definitely not anti drinking at all. In fact, I like to be around people who are drinking because it makes me less inhibited. I like get a secondary fun part from it. And for me, I just, it works too well to quell all the anxiety. So then you fall into a pattern because you're like, how else do I say good night to the day? Like how else do I kind of stop stressing about every little thing? And actually like, so alcohol really works like for those, for that little bit of time to like de-stress, like thank God. But then I would have all the same stresses later and maybe I wouldn't feel so great. So it's actually like trickier to find other ways to de-stress, but Mm -hmm. ultimately for me, it's working better. So what Molly and I are saying to all of you guys is don't (laughs) go down that rabbit hole because we've already done that. And then we we're here to tell you it doesn't work. But what does work are things like Insight Timer, the Women's Meditation Mm. Network, Mm. maybe listening to some Molly Venter before bed and opening Mm. up your journal and Mm. writing a little bit, all those Mm. things. Today, my partner came into the kitchen and I was like in a mood and they needed to talk about something. And I was like, no, and Inya was playing. And she's like, oh, it's Inya time. Nice. (laughs) I'm like, it is. Yay. So Molly, how can everyone find you on Instagram? Like if they want it, can we just say, I can't say the word A-L-E-X-A or she'll start talking to me right now. But can like, can my robot just, if I say play Molly Venter, play Red Molly. If you play Molly Venter, you will get really old stuff that if you are in your 20s or 30s and going through big breakups, yeah, Mm -hmm. Google Molly, go, go find Molly Venter stuff. But if you are more in the family style, I would look up for sure. I would look up Goodnight Moonshine because that's the act that I do with my husband. And that's like, you know, whole albums about like post honeymoon relationship stuff. Like, and then some, a little bit of like parenting thing for the baby stage. And then just all, you know, grief over passing parent. So it's just a lot more adult themes for lack of a better word. I'm thinking my next album is going to be called like adulting. Mm it's, yeah, it's like, there's still plenty of rich life drama that is, that is outside of just like the kind of breakup cycle, you know? So there's all this growth happening that yes, goodnightmoonshine.com and then goodnightmoonshine on Spotify. Instagram is Molly Venter. So what I do though, every week is I do a Patreon page and that's where I pour my heart and soul into a new song a week, which is often an original and sometimes a cover. And then I write an essay and you can see a lot of those, a lot of them are quote public, or you could sign up for $3 a month if you are really into it. And that's patreon.com slash Molly Venter. I am part of your group. I love it. I get my weekly emails. It's amazing. That's a lot of creativity to do weekly. Just FYI with three kids. Thank you. It is. And it Mm -hmm. saves my life having to do it. It also makes me a little crazy Thursday night and I'm like yelling at my husband that I'm going to be up too late, but it saves me to do it. Oh, it's so good. I think your next album is like for a mature audience only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or for an aspiring mature audience. There we go. Even better. 
So let's get into your birth stories because this is where our lives intersect, right? For 12 or 15 years, I've just been listening to this wonderful music that's really helped me on my journey. And then someone that I really have looked to for 15 years or so to help tap into my emotions and help me emote more had a baby. So I had to reach out to you. <laughs> so, so here we are. So let's go. You have three children. We had a singleton and then you had twins. And yeah. so I know everyone's going to be really excited about the twin birth. So and exciting. we're going to get to that second. Right. So everybody yeah. just has to listen in because birth is about and motherhood is about journeying to that next thing. So we really can't get there. And it's Manny and Ravenel, right? You're yep. twins. We can't get to their story until we honor Otis's story, which is your first son. So how old were you? Let's start there. I was 35 and I had just, so I had, my dad had just passed and that there was a hot, that was a hospital thing. And I just came out of that being like, why are we doing birth and death in a hospital? Like, why are we doing this? I don't like it. It feels sterile. It doesn't feel human and body, you know, embodied. So. Anyway, that that was really my thing that I didn't want to go to a hospital because I had just been in one. So I found these amazing midwives who only do home births. I never even thought anything of it. I was only listening to all of the good midwife stuff that was going around. Like I didn't have any fears about it. I didn't have any apprehension. I was a tri-varsity athlete in college. So I had all this confidence like, oh, I'm just going to squat it out. It's just going to be so rad. Like, I'm just going to bust through this birth. And I mean, the pregnancy was like nothing. I toured until eight and a half months. Like I, it was just so easy. And then, you know, my water broke and Otis was out six hours later, but I will just tell you. So six hours start to finish and completely uncomplicated. And I pretty much the entire time was sobbing on the floor of the bathtub, sobbing on the floor of the bathtub, just like I, you know, and at first I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. My husband's like, well, we don't have another plan. You know, like I I had given myself the out, like, oh, if I'm in labor for two days, I'll guess I'll go to the hospital. But there was this thought in my mind that was like, this is too embarrassing. If you go to the hospital after like an hour, it was just the ultimate leveler. I mean, I came out of that thinking, I can't believe that this is what people have to go through to have babies. Like, women are fleeing their country, giving birth on the side of the road like this. I felt a little betrayed by the universe. And like I said, I mean, there was nothing, nothing bad happened. Like it was beautiful. And I'm so glad. It's really nice not to have to be in a hospital. It was nice not having to like leave a hospital, try to get checked out of a hospital. Such a nightmare. But I think people always just assume, oh, you had that just magical, blissful thing. And I did. I absolutely did. And also it was definitely the most traumatizing thing that I had had. because it's so, yeah, it's just like so so raw. How soon after your father passing, did you give birth? Did I give birth? Mm, It was a couple of years. Okay. It it was like three years. Okay. It wasn't right away. Well, I guess really time doesn't even matter. No, but but people say like, yeah. Yeah. If we have, we have things that come up, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast that we talk about birth or especially unmedicated birthing in transition. 
the just really hard labor, the super intense when the baby's descending through the pelvis, dilating the cervix all the way, those powerful sensations send us into another universe. We call mm-hmm. it labor land. We call it the labor zone. They say mm-hmm. you go out into the stars in the galaxy and you find your yeah. baby's soul and then you bring Absolutely. it back. I mean, and we we come to the other side of it and we're like, it was amazing. It was empowering. It was all of this. But so often as a doula, I'm with a mom. And I was just with a mom at a home birth and it was a 48-hour home birth Ooh. on her second. It's very... You know, her, her baby Luna just needed some time to come. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at the end, she falls back and she just says, that was so hard, yeah. you know? And so I want you to go back with us for the people that are listening and talk about how you knew you were in labor and how you got to the bathtub crying. On your oh yeah. Knees. Well, I knew so. it was, it was pretty crazy. I just, my water broke. So I got out of bed going, woohoo, like just water everywhere. And, and we called the midwife and she, she lived close. She actually checked me then and was like, okay, go back to bed. But an hour later, when I say the contractions started, like they started at a nine or they started okay. at an eight, like there was no, there was no easing into it. So for me, it, it was just like, what is happening? I'm being turned inside out. I mean, so everything. I'll get to the twin birth later, but it was just so specific. Everyone's, I feel like everyone's birth is so specific and all the things that you worry about maybe happening at your birth, it's like those don't happen, but something else crazy happens, you know, that you could never have foreseen. So it was just, of course, random and unique, my own set of circumstances. So I, this, uh, my dad, my dad had, I was living in my mom's house and my dad had put in the largest water heater, like on the market. And so I just turned the shower on and I just said to myself, like, this is never going to go cold. Like it will literally never go cold. So I get to lie on here with the shower on me for the whole thing. Now, one of my midwives was really good at like the lower kind of back massage. And that did help. My husband was literally frantically like reading through the book he was supposed to have read, like squeezing my feet, like in the moment, you know, and trying to talk me through it. For me, it was all the dilating processes. The crate is like the most emotionally insane. And then once it's pushing, like, cause I was in the tub and then all of a sudden I was pushing, like, I didn't decide to push all of a sudden it was like, like and she's like, <laughs> okay, let me check. Yep. You're good to go. Like, was that scary? Cause your body just started pushing. I'm like, yeah, that was scary. But the pushing part for me wasn't the crazy part. That was like, oh, that's this, that's this very searing outside pain that like, I kind of know about that, but the whole inside your, your, whatever your uterus does, I still don't even, you know, just contracts. it's a muscle. It's yeah, a muscle. It, it feels, just contracts. Yeah. To me, that felt like being turned inside out and very emotional, that kind of pain. Like, cause I can take different kinds of pain, no problem, but this was different for me. Other people, but you made it, but I made it. Yes. And that is what the midwife said. I was a little pissed that they hadn't told me it might be that bad. And they're like, well, you never know what it will be. So you don't want to tell people it's going to be so rough. But they said, it's kind of good to start your motherhood journey thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then doing it because that is going to happen over and over and over. And I, of course, I thought about it like night two when I'm falling out of bed, like trying to feed my baby every hour and a half, like their voices like echo through my head a lot because, and then every stage of parenting, you've got something new that you're like, I can't do this. I don't have the skills to do this. That was really cool. 
in hindsight, it was all perfect and very cool. I think it is. I mean, there's so many beautiful poets that have described it and songwriters that have written about it. But like this inauguration into motherhood, like this saying goodbye to Maiden, like the transformation that occurs in just a few hours. Mm-hmm. And if you choose for your body or you allow for your body to not intervene in that process, it is very, very hard. And it is absolutely doable. And yes, throughout motherhood, we tell ourselves over and over again, like, but I did that thing. Mm-hmm. And so I get through that. I've had significant traumas in my life since I had an unmedicated birth. And I thank my child every day mm. for that opportunity to have been broken down in his birth, mm. really, because it set the bar for like the next trauma I was going to experience and the strength that I knew I had. I was like, okay, this is going to be hard, but I know I can do this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. And you can just mm-hmm. keep doing it. It's so beautiful. Now your labor was very short, right? I don't want any of yeah. my listeners to think like, yes. oh, six hours. Exactly. But what, what we have proven in data is that when home births are much shorter mm, than hospital births. I believe that. Yeah. Right. The stress hormones of adrenaline and cortisol aren't in play when we're having yeah. to like get in the car and go to the hospital and fluorescent lights and talk to people and answer questions like you're in your own home and your own or your mom's home and your yeah. element with this hot water heater and your husband and your yeah. midwife and like all those other variables are gone. So your body's yeah. able to unfold. What I hear from your story, Molly, though, is 100%. If I was your doula, and I could be wrong, but I feel like you had a lot of pre-work that your body did prior to going into labor. I would have guessed that you would have been significantly dilated uh, with a soft, ripe cervix when your water broke. That's possible. You went straight into transition, it sounds like. You went to hard labor and transition. So it sounds to me when my clients have this, they had early labor, lots mm-hmm. of cramping and kind of Braxton Hicks and kind of uh, for like a week I, or Yeah, two. you're right. I did have a, Brax- a bunch of Braxton Hicks for like a week. Yeah. Yeah. And those Braxton Hicks, while annoying, they really soften the cervix and they ripen it and that kind of thing. And then I liked them. I felt like they were like a squeeze. I thought they were cool. <laughs> yes. A hug, you know. Yeah. That's early labor. So you just had yours piecemeal. Like you had your early labor, it sounds like, kind of over time. And then it was like, boom. That's probably right. That's probably right. Because when people said, oh, the contractions start slowly, I'm like, no, they don't. They hit me like a brick wall. So you guys, Molly experienced PROM, which is premature rupture of the membranes. That means your first sign of active labor was your water breaking. Now, data shows you should start contractions anywhere from immediately to six to eight hours, and you're started within an hour, right? Yeah, like so, an hour later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right on track. Amazing. So did you end up birthing in the tub? No, I got out. I, I pushed his head out on the sitting on the toilet. Okay. And then we tried a little bit like on the floor on my side and nothing was happening. So I sat on the toilet, so just pushed the head right out okay. and then got to my hands and knees, pushed the whole baby out. They had to... They had to be like, there's your baby. Pick up your baby. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was amazing. And I could always tell my son, you were born right there on that spot. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So do you still live in this house? No, my mom, uh, we bought our own little house, but uh, it was good to us musicians to be able to live with my mom. And then she was there for the 
first year of my kid's life. Cause we don't, you know, we don't have time to talk about all that, but you have all that. And then you're supposed to then go where, right into raising a baby. Like this is where I think this was not by design. Like you would have had a whole tribe and maybe an auntie could show you nurse and nurse a little bit. And then this person would be making food. And then like, but to have the, you just carry the baby and then you labor the baby. And then all of a sudden you're responsible for every part of the baby's life. I mean, to me, it seems a little intense and we did it. And my mom was living with me. And so that helped a lot, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I, this is where I get a little sad about life in general, right? Yes. Like I talk all the time about how I'm like, why do I have a lawnmower and my Mm. next door neighbor has a lawnmower Mm -hmm. and then their next door neighbor has a lawnmower. I'm like, why doesn't, why don't we just have a lawnmower for the neighborhood? You know what I mean? And then it's like, I have, you know, we each have all these things. So we're a little crazy and different. And everyone's like, oh, you're modern family. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, so we live in the jokingness of a compound. Okay. So here there's two houses on our property. And my ex-spouse, my partner is my ex-spouse, which is a little crazy. Those that listen to the podcast know the story. But my husband transitioned to be a woman. And so (sighs) they're now my ex-spouse. But, you know, we're still partners. We're still friends. So we have two different houses. So then I live with my mom, my sister, yeah, the kids, yeah. and then the kids just kind of float back and forth between oh. wherever, wherever they want to go it's on that given ideal. day. Yeah. And I have all this help, right? Yes. And I, I have so many friends that are so alone. Yes. And my dual clients, and they feel just like what you felt, Molly. They get home or they are, you know, they get home from the hospital or they're at home birthing and then they look up and there's only one person there, maybe their spouse. Yeah. Right. Or maybe they have to go right back to work. I know yeah, it's I a know. lot. I mean, so if people can, you know, people can hire postpartum doulas. Great. If you can call your friends and have them stay with you for a little while, like, yeah. yeah. And this is what I want people to hear. I have my doula clients all the time that are like, I just want everyone to not come for like a week or two after the birth. And I'm like, oh no, that's the wrong thinking. You want all the help the week or two after the birth. Yes. Then you want people to go away once you get the hang of it. Right. So. And you don't want to you don't want to have to entertain anyone. You want the kinds of people who will just come in and literally like bring you food and do the laundry and yeah, because you don't you don't really want to be getting out of bed. I mean, that was interesting thing. Like I was 35 in my body. I was really healthy and yeah, I didn't it didn't feel good to walk for like 2 weeks and breastfeeding was hard at first and all that stuff. And I was actually, I came back quicker with my twins, which was a vaginal birth. Anyway, we should jump on to that. Yeah. I want to hear all about it. (sighs) That was a wild ride. Before twins though, I need to know, did you do anything with your placenta? Oh, with the, with Otis, we did, we, we, I was cheap. So we just froze it. And then my husband would chop it up and make these meat smoothies. Like he would just put it in the blender with like a Day three, he's like, you seem a little down. Let's make you a little meat, meat smoothie. Um, I, I don't love know. Him. I don't know, but we, we did. And then with the twins, they wouldn't let me. They were all, anyway, hospitals, much different. Ooh, so we moved from home birth to hospital birth. Now I yeah. got to know all the things because I was, now you, so I was much, assuming so we, we were a twin home birth. Uh-oh, so are you disappointed you asked me now? No, I'm not disappointed. Okay. Now I'm just very curious. Okay, I'm just breaking in for just a minute 
in case you forgot the code. So the code is birthstory at useanja.com for $100 off if you choose to privately bank your cord blood and tissue with Anja. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back to the story. Okay, so you get pregnant again. How do you find out you're having twins? Well, I had a, and I had a miscarriage right before and it just at eight weeks, like normal miscarriage time. But then it was, we learned when we went into the like ultrasound. So then I'm going back into the, we get pregnant again right away, go back into the ultrasound. I don't even have my husband come this time because like we were stupid. We had Otis in the first ultrasound. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. It was all good. We had a ceremony and life is life. So I go into this ultrasound and she just is like, yeah, there's one. And then there's the other heartbeat. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And we, um, (laughs) we called my husband. I don't have fraternal twins in the family. I don't, you know, I wasn't on any hormones. I was doing a ton of acupuncture, but I think mainly I was like almost 40 and your body's like, let's get these eggs out of here. Yeah. Now or never. We drop eggs like crazy. We're dropping Mm -hmm. them. So no. So then that was, we found out early, like at nine weeks, it was insane. I mean, we're both full-time musicians, like our lifestyle, we were, it seemed crazy to have a second child to everyone we knew. And then now we're having twins, but lucky for us, COVID hit and we couldn't even tour. So we've just been pleasantly at home. Yeah. So these guys, you know, once I was like six, seven months pregnant, I couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't walk up the street. I I had a friend who had a pool and I would get in the pool once a day for an hour and that helped, but I couldn't move. I mean, I did think about doing a home birth, especially with COVID. I was like, should I do this home birth? And my midwife that I was going to work with, which was a midwife wing of the hospital, she was like, you know, I had twins myself, blah, blah, blah. I hear the stats. You want, you want to be in the hospital just in case. And because I had already given, done a home birth, I was like, I trust myself. I trust myself that I can do this and I'm not going to be like pushed around by anyone. And I'm working with a midwife practice and like, it'll be fine. I don't want that extra stress. You know, it just seemed a little too stressful to do it at home. Now I carried them to 38 weeks and then I just like lost it. I was like, they need to come out now. Like so much, I was just in so much pain all the time. So they- Just like explain that though, like pelvic pain, emotional pain. Pelvic pain, like only comfortable, like lying on my side in bed and barely comfortable there. And again, I do not complain about physical, well, these two stories suggest otherwise, but in general, (laughs) I'm pretty tough physically. And this pregnant, and like I said, the first pregnancy was nothing. This second pregnancy was gnarly. Yeah, lower pelvic pain, and nothing wrong, right? Like no diabetes, but my brother would be like, what's with your ankles? Those are not your ankles. <laughs> I was like, Varicose veins in your vagina? Did you get any of the varicose veins in your I don't, vulva? I didn't see, I don't know, but I did get some gnarly prolapse, which I've now got a cool exercise for, like the Spanish do. But yeah, so it was just, it was very unpleasant. And I was starting to be like, I, I need, I need them to come out like there and they don't want, they will not induce, they like, it's a hospital. So they're going to make sure they induce you by the end of 38 weeks anyway. Mm-hmm. So the midwives were like, you know, you can wait. And I was like, I'm going in, going in at 38 <laughs> weeks. But I, because I'd had a home birth the first time, I didn't even, this is not ideal. I didn't even know what Pitocin does. Like, I didn't know anything. I was just like, 
do whatever, it's time to go. So I was on Pitocin for 24 hours and nothing happened. Okay, so I am going to break in right here. Please do. Because... If you like hire a doula, y'all, if you are, or like send this podcast episode to one of your friends that you know that's having twins. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to pitch a little something for myself. I do virtual birth planning for anyone around the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I I love doing. So let's say you had called me. We would have spent about six hours over two or three different prenatal appointments preparing you for an induction. All the things. What Pitocin does, the pros and cons, the risks and benefits. I also would have told you that an average induction is three to five days. So I have no idea where we're going with your story, you know. But I would have told you if your body is not ready and right, you can do everything. Your body won't respond to any of it. So there's stages, right? I'm going to let you tell your story of your journey, but I wanted to interject to talk a little bit about an induction, right? There are drugs called prostaglandins that we can use, Cervidil, Cytotec. There's a Cook's catheter, a balloon that can soften and dilate the cervix. There's a lot of journeys. So it's really important if you're having a planned induction, as Molly is telling us right here, to know a little bit about what might go on. And how long it could take, you know. So you get to the hospital and they start with Pitocin. They didn't do any cervical ripening medicines. No, I mean, I think I was three centimeters when I got there. Okay. Three, three and a half when I got there. And it just never moved, though. It didn't. And I hadn't really been having Braxton Hicks. Like, I didn't have at that time. And I carried Otis to almost 40 weeks. So this is 38 weeks. So it's earlier, right? But everybody Mm. says they're twins. I just assumed they'd come out by themselves at... 36, 37, like everyone else's do. Oh my God. I um, love you. We just had twin home births at 41. Um, oh my God. They were, they were seven, 12 and seven, 14. Mine was eight um, and six and a half. No, you are kidding me. So oh they were gosh. already effing way too big. <laughs> you had an eight pound twin at yeah. 38 weeks. I, at no wonder you couldn't move. You had yeah. over 20 pounds of baby fluid and placenta. Yeah, it was way too much. So that's what I'm saying. Like it was a lot. Wow. So uh, again, yes, I wish I should have, I should have talked to people beforehand. It all's well that ends well. Like, so what happened is, so I went in, by the way, we know that twin number two is heads up. We know that okay. she's, she's breached, but they're like, it's fine. If the bottom one's heads down, we can, we can go vaginal birth. Like it's not going to be a problem. And so after two days of like the heaviest dose Pitocin, they're like, you know, it's, this is when the doctors get in. They're like, we're not really reaching our goals. So we need to break your water now. And I was like, it's 10 PM. I haven't slept in 48 hours. Cause I'm stuck. Like there are like so many sticky things to me, right? All the fetal heart monitoring. Every time I move, another nurse has to come back and replace the, the fetal heart monitoring thing is horrible. It's, I mean, it's just sticky and annoying, but like yeah. it was not pleasant. So that was a very unpleasant couple of days. I was like, no, I am not getting my water broken right now. Like, take me off everything and, and let me sleep. So they did. Good like, job, was, Molly. Yeah, was, but dude, I had to send them back three times because I was so, so tempted to do what they wanted. They were literally like, well, do we have all these women outside waiting to birth. We're going to have to give up this room. If you go off the drugs, you'll probably lose your bed in this room. So I was like, go, go back out and I'll come back in five minutes. I'll tell you. And then I was like, no, come back in another five minutes. I'll tell you. And I just like got so quiet and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I can do this. I'll let them break my water. Like I'll, but I remember last time my water got broken, 
So this is what I'm thinking. Once you break my water, I'm just going to get punched in the face with those contractions. <laughs> so anyway, I slept a little, like a little better that night. And then in the morning they came in and they're just like, you know, we'll either. And during that two days of nothing happening, I did start to say like, we all know this is going to a C-section. So maybe that's just what we should do. And the midwives were like, no, that's beautiful. That wasn't your plan. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, so I was just, I just got so over it. But then I'm really glad it worked out this way. And they, they broke my water. And, you know, four hours later, I started contracting. And now this is where I do feel lucky. And I know there are probably not great things about this. But again, it was the midwife who had had twins herself. And she was like, that second baby's heads up. You know, they're going to go in with their hands to get her out. And like, you might consider an epidural. Like, you, you don't have to. But like, if you're thinking about it, like, you might. And if you're going to get one anyway, you could just get one when you're like, when you think you need it, you know, and not like wait till the end because, and the other thing was like, if you don't get the epidural and you have twins and they do have to do a C-section, then they have to knock you out completely. And I was like, the risk of getting knocked out completely, like, I really don't want that to happen. So fine, let's give a little epidural. It was similar to the first one in that once my contractions hit, they did hit at like a seven, you know, out of 10 pain. Mm -hmm. And then they got to an eight. And Evan's like, call for the epidural. And I was like, no, I can do it. And this is where I noticed how mental it is, right? Because I was feeling those feelings and doing the whole, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but this time I was like, help is on the way. I'll call the epidural whenever I want. You know, I've already called, they're on the way. So then halfway through, like, uh, uh, like it wouldn't hurt as bad. Cause I just like knew help is on the way. Yeah. And so I wish, I, of course, that would be the ideal if you could tell yourself through any that through anything, but I, I didn't have those skills the first time around. So it still took them literally an hour and a half to get there. So I was, so I had plenty of like hardcore labor and then I had the epidural and then I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was time to push the baby out. And I pushed the first one out in four pushes. Who came first? Manny. Manny was head first. Okay. Manny, 99th percentile and still is. He was the eight pound baby. So he was the eight pound baby. Okay. <laughs> so he's just barreling down. And it was so great. This is where I felt victorious. I mean, it was insane to be wheeled into this operate. You have to be in the operating room. You, there's no like cozy midwife. You're like full on operating room, crazy lights, no fewer than 12 like suited up people in their like COVID hazmat suits. It's so insane. But I was just like, here we go. Like, this is how we're doing it. And so four pushes, I could see everybody get so excited. They're like, Oh my God. Yes. Like here comes baby. So then I hold little baby number one. And he's like, he is to this day, just screaming his head off. He's just like, so miserable. And I'm just like, and then what I found out later was the doctor on call did not do breech births. Like he wouldn't do them. And so they called these other two specialist ladies. So I can just hear them and they've got their look at the monitor and they're like, I think I got a foot. Okay, I got a foot. All right, all right. And now I got the hand. They just pull her out. She's a footling breach, but they go in and they pull her out. She's out four minutes later. And I just have to say this because she's still like this. She does not cry. The cord is wrapped around her neck, but that doesn't hurt her. She just, but she doesn't cry and doesn't cry. And they're rubbing her. And finally she goes, rah, rah. <laughs> and that was it. And then she just goes on my chest and I was like, what, what is this calm baby? Like I've never had a calm baby. So that was it. That was the actual labor part was easy peasy. Again, I'd had an epidural. So like that pain wasn't happening. And then, but then, you know, then you're in a hospital and it really stinks to be in a hospital for the next like day and a half. 
that part was awful. <laughs> I just wanted to be home. So, you know, it so was So they it didn't was. let you do anything with your placentas? You couldn't? No, they literally said, we have to go like study them or whatever. We need to send them to the lab. I would have gone to battle. I'm so sorry. Cool. But, you know, at least you got that on your, you know, you had those choices on your first one. Yeah. You know, I continue to do this podcast and say these things because if you really want your placenta, y'all fight for it. It's yeah, your totally. organ. You know what I mean? Like try to say there's I'm sure there's a form that I can sign that's against medical advice. And, you know, that says this organ belongs to me and I'd like to take yeah. it. So sometimes when we just put up a little bit of a fight, sometimes you're like, I just had two babies and I'm tired and I don't feel like having that. That's not worth it to me. But if it is something you want, anyone listening, speak up, ask for it, yeah. you know, get it. So were you able to nurse both? Yeah, I was able to nurse, although just like the first one, like I'm really lazy when I'm tired, so they don't get a good latch. So then I'm all bloody. So then I have to like do some syringe feeding. And then like, this is just, this was my pattern both times. Yeah. So then we get them nursing, you know, but it takes a little while, I think probably because the induction for the or always for the milk to come in. I don't remember this being a thing with my son, but when you're doing two babies and they're both crying, it's like literally you might sleep for 15 minutes and then you will be woken up again. So it's not like, oh, you sleep for two hours and then you get woken up. Like, no, you maybe sleep for 20 minutes. So it's really, really, really intense. And I just had people be like, if you need to supplement, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Like my milk is coming in, but like we're getting that German Holly brand, like goat milk. <laughs> Everybody formula. has Holly. All yeah, my everyone doula, has Holly. All everyone my spends, doula clients have Holly. We spend all our money on the Holly. <laughs> and then, yeah, so I just, I had a little bit of supplementing and then I was nursing and I was always also trying to pump to get it in. So I didn't, this is weird. Well, whatever. I'll just out myself. Like with my son, first son, I nursed him till about two years and I, that was, I, you know, exclusively till he got food. And then with these guys, after several months, like it turned into just pumping. So I still pump seven times a day and they are mostly breastfed but, and they're mostly milk. But like I transitioned away from actually nursing them and people will tell me, Oh, well, the milk is what's important. And I'm like, no, I don't buy that. I think there's attachment in actually nursing. But for me, for like how hard it was to get any sleep for like this time I needed Evan to be able to feed one. I needed to be able to sleep from like four to eight in the morning. Like I just needed one stretch of three hours and you can't get that with twins. It just like went where it went. Like I was a little bit conflicted and sad that I didn't maintain nursing longer. But at the same time, like there was so much relief around it too, that that was just my story. And there's a million things we can make ourselves feel guilty about. Like I can feel guilty that I had an epidural and I can feel guilty about this, but like also I have twins and it's really hard. <laughs> and so I'm just going to do my best. And you know what? I'm actually really happy with my twins. Like I was slightly more, well, no, probably a lot better rested. My body came back faster, which is surprising, but I don't know. Like I, I was walking around in the next couple of days. Like I'm glad I didn't have a C-section because I didn't have a scar to heal. You know, yeah. that's hard. I think anyway. that you did an amazing job, Molly. I think you are <laughs> doing an amazing job. I think just the thought of twins for most of us is like how I don't even know how we could survive it. I mean, I had one and I only made it the first one never nursed and I pumped mm. for like five months. And then yeah. I was like, F it. And I'm yeah, yeah, a doula, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, my job is to like help people nurse for like a year. 
And that I love what you said. Like, it is what it is. Let it be. Each of us has our own journey. And I wanted to just ask you before we go to like, how old are they and how are you doing now? Yeah. Well, I'm doing really well. I mean, they are eight months old and we had for a while during COVID, you know, you couldn't get a babysitter or anything, but I would have like a different family member staying with us. And that was essential. And my husband also like works part-time from home. So like we really do split, split care, like a hundred, it's 50, 50 for sure. And so that is just like, that means I'm great. I'm much better than I was with my one singleton son when I was doing like really, you know, I was nursing him all night long. He never slept through the night. Like these babies are already kind of sleeping more through the night. So I'm doing surprisingly well. And it's because of the help. It's just because of the help. Yeah. (laughs) And my family. I have another quick question about just being a musician in COVID. How much has this impacted your business, your income? Like how are you still, I mean, I know you're doing your weekly Patreon, Mm -hmm. but no touring at all. Nope. No, we are just starting to book some outdoor concerts this summer. We'll see how they go one at a time. And okay. um, yeah, of course, we didn't tour for a year, but thank God for me, like, because I had twins. And we, my husband got a producing job. He did a little more teaching. Like I said, I have my Patreon thing. We have really low overhead. Like, we just always set our lives up so that we could, you know, have a low overhead and had some savings and we're okay. And just doing it. And I can be really creative. Yeah. I, we're still being creative and making music. So I can't complain, but of course it's impacted musicians like a thousand percent. Yeah. I know. I was yeah. like, uh, like my friend Bucky and a couple of my other oh, musicians yeah. and then my friends who are like in the service industry, like waiters. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just feel like it's been, I'm busier than ever as a doula. Everyone's yeah. getting pregnant, and I'm, but I'm <laughs> looking at other industries. And seeing like, how are you doing this? You know, and I really miss, I really miss the outdoor music scene. So hopefully we're getting back to it. Molly, it's been amazing to just chat with you and to hear your birth stories. And I'm so thankful that we connected. What is your favorite baby product? Okay. And now since you've been so honest, I'm not going to feel, I'm sorry for any mamas if I did, if I laid on the mom guilt about like, oh, I wish I could have done it better. Blah, blah. Um, It's We all have it. The hard thing to shake. Um, so anyway, my favorite baby product, you need to beg, steal, or borrow. It, you need to ask all your family for help with this. But I rented two snooze, and I don't know what people are going to think about them, but with twins, these little robotic bassinets, I co-slept with Otis till forever. He still needs an adult to sleep in his room with them, and he's five. But these babies sleep very happily on their own. And they always slept in the snoo. And we had it right when we got back from the hospital. You like zip them in, it shushes them down. And then they transitioned fine, pretty much fine into their cribs at six months. And it just meant that, I mean, it just meant you could sleep for that extra like 20 minutes. And I think the worst thing about the snoo, again, is like parent guilt. Like, oh, I should have been able to rock them down. But you're like, well, you had to sleep. So that, that made the twin thing much more doable. You are about the hundredth person to say this new is their favorite product. And I'm jealous. I mean, my youngest is five and I'm like, oh man, yeah. where was the snoo five know, years ago? It wasn't ago. there. It was not there five I years know. ago. And you know, the maker of this new is the guy, I don't remember his name, but 
from the happiest baby on the block, like with the five S's or whatever. So that's his company who made the snoo. So they turned that concept of those five S's into Mm -hmm. a, like you said, a machine that they sleep in. Yeah. Robotic bassinet. It's amazing. I I know. I feel like there's just nothing else that is like as important, like anything else, you know, you figure out what your baby likes to chew on or whatever, natural rubber teether, but nothing else yeah, matters as much as that sleep. For you too, right? For me. Yeah, for me. (laughs) All the time, the moms about postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, weight gain, you name it. I'm like, sleep is going to cure most of those things Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so that's where, again, it's like pumping is kind of crappy, although pumps have gotten better. And I would just wear the bra and like, like once I felt good and I had the pump in a fanny pack. So I'm literally like doing stuff while I pump. You will see me like I'll type on the computer while I pump. I will make a meal while I pump. And that way, or just use formula, whatever. But that way, like get your husband to do some feeds in the night. Like, I don't know why I never did that with Otis, but like, or, sorry, not just your husband, any, your partner, like get any help to do the feed during the night so you can sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. (sighs) And if any of you guys want to stick around for another couple of minutes and hear one of Molly's songs, it's coming up next. I think I'm going to, I'm going to let you hear, this is called Lost and Bound. And I wrote it for Otis when he was just a few months old. So you'll, you'll have all the new mama feels. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great day, Molly. I'm here and you're here 
Don't forget to head over to useanja.com. That's U-S-E-A-N-J-A.com. And use code BIRTHSTORY for $100 off when you choose cord blood banking privately with useanja. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 